Welcome to this week's message from Mountain Park Church. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we hope that as you listen to today's message, you feel challenged and inspired to give God more room to work in your life this week. So we've been on this little journey for um, last week and this week where we're we're just looking at uh, this Old Testament story from 1 Kings, and one of the things that I love about the Bible is that even though this story was um, written and, and happened thousands and thousands of years ago, it, there's still application for us today. And although this was the experience of Elijah's life, and we're going to learn about his protege Elisha today, that their experiences can still shed some light for us as to how we should live. Thanks. I was going to kick that eventually. I knew it. <laughs> So their experience should uh, and, and can actually give us insight and understanding for how we should live today. And that's what I love about the Bible. It's not just a historical account, but it's actually living and active. And if we're, if we're going to spend the time to dig into it and to press into it, there's lots that we can learn and understand. And so last week, we found ourselves in the middle of this ginormous event in the history of Israel and the history of Elijah's life. And the, the nation had been going through three and a half years of drought because as a, as a whole group of people, they had started to compromise in their faith and they had walked away from God and God was trying to get their attention. And so the only way he could get their attention was to actually cause there to be a supernatural drought for three and a half years, no rain. And then all of a sudden, as Elijah's out kind of in the wilderness, as he's doing his thing, God says, go back because I'm going to send rain. And we talked about the fact that the Bible talks about rain in two different ways. And one is called the former and the other is the latter. And, and you can go back and listen online to last week. I don't want to recover all of my steps. But, but we, we learned last week that the kind of rain that God said that he wanted to provide at the end of this drought was the former rain, and that's the rain the Bible specifically uses the language of that rain teaching the soil again to receive seed, that, that this is the kind of rain that is uh, uh, the preparation ground for the farmers to actually break ground. And so after months and months of drought that happen every year in the Middle East, in October, the rain starts and it's called the former rain. And, and that rain that comes in October is not uh, cats and dogs, you know, coming down in buckets, but it's a gentle rain that, that, that trains the ground again to be soft enough to be plowed, to receive the seed that is necessary. And so the farmers know that they can't start the plowing process until the rain begins until the rain begins. And that, that former rain is necessary to happen, moving to remind the farmers in the ground of what needs to happen moving forward. And it's part of a season that happens all the time. And so after three and a half years of drought, God sends this rain. And I wanna pick up the story. We're gonna, in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, so 
they have this amazing showdown. And again, we talked about it last week, and so you can go back and listen back. But there's this amazing showdown that happens. And God does these supernatural things in their midst, these incredible things that, that should boost their faith and that should give them courage. And it should validate Elijah's word and, and his position in doing what he feels God is calling him to do. But listen to what happens in verse 1 of chapter 19. Now Ahab, that was the king of that day, told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel wasn't there when this event happened, so she hears about it secondhand. Ahab's probably like most guys, and he just leaves out critical details there of that it was actually God and not just Elijah, but I'm just guessing with that based on my own personal experience. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by the time to, this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Then look at this. After seeing everything that Elijah saw, it says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. So after three years and after fervent prayer and after being so faithful and watching God come through in a miraculous way, he, he reaches this point of opposition with Jezebel. And instead of standing in faith and trust, instead of moving forward and saying, I've seen God do this already, and I believe he's going to do it again, Elijah runs away in fear. And it's one thing for us to pray to ask God to send the rain in our life, but it's another thing when that rain comes to understand what it's bringing with it. And it's bringing opposition in your life. The last thing the devil wants is for you to trust God with your future, is for you to trust God with the things that he's already done. So when God brings the rain, opposition comes along with it. The two go hand in hand, you can't separate them. Oftentimes we want the rain, but as soon as we see conflict, as soon as we see struggle, as soon as we see opposition, we run away in fear. And the very thing God did the day before, we forget and we lose heart and we lose faith. And Elijah being this powerful man of God is no different than you and I. God brings the rain. And then along with that comes opposition and doubt and fear. There were dozens of you standing at the front yet last week asking God to bring the rain in your life, but that's not when the moment counts. The moment counts on Monday morning when the rubber hits the road. It counts when we get into confrontation in our families, and it counts when our decision to follow Christ starts to cost us something. And so often we back down in fear because we're grateful for what God has done in the past, but somehow we still don't just trust him to lead us through whatever's coming next. And so Elijah has one of these moments. I love this. We're going to jump through and skip ahead a little bit to verse 9, the second half. So Elijah runs for his life. He's afraid. He starts to harbor self-pity and doubt. 
And then the second half of verse nine says, the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. The Lord said, go and stand out on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, again, Elijah, what are you doing here? He replied, again, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah's fear leads to my first point for this morning. You guys have been asking me to give points, and now I actually have to remember what those points are. So here we go. The first point is stop making excuses and listen. When we encounter opposition in our life, when God sends the rain and does the things we're asking him to, but the things that we're asking him to do begin to turn out a little differently than we had planned, often our first response is start to make a lot of excuses, to start to complain back to God, well, this wasn't exactly what I had in mind. I wasn't picturing this outcome when I asked you for this. I didn't really want to go down this road. These weren't the decisions that I was hoping to have to make. And Elijah goes into this season of self-pity and complaining and fear when he's challenging God. And, and listen to what he's saying. He's, he's saying, God, I'm the only one left. I've tried to do everything you ask. I'm doing my best here with what I've got, but it's not enough, God. And how often in our life do we approach God in prayer and say, God, I'm doing everything I can for my wife or for my husband or my family. I'm doing everything I can in my job and it's never good enough. Nobody else is going through this like I am. And Elijah's sitting there and God gently twice says, what are you doing here? And it's kind of a rhetorical question for God because obviously he knows. But he wants Elijah to realize that before he moves on to the next step, he has to stop complaining and start listening. And some of you have been asking God to do amazing things in your life and you've been asking God to increase your faith and you've been trying your best and you've been struggling. But at the end of the day, you're turning around in frustration and then pointing the finger back at God saying, why did you do this? Why is my life turning out like this? And we get so fixated, so enamored with ourselves and our situation that we forget to listen. 
My mentor years ago said to me, as we were talking about this, the, these verses years ago, he said, you know, Andrew, I believe that one of the reasons that God came in the still small voice and not in the earthquake or the fire or, or the windstorm was because the longer we walk with God, the quieter his voice gets. We always think that the longer I walk with God, the more sure I'm gonna be of what's gonna happen. The more faith I'll have, the more understanding I'll, I'll have. And I, I had this idea when I was like 18 that by the time I reached my 30s, God's voice was gonna be like a, a gong in the side of my head and I would always know for sure what to do. And I actually believe the opposite is true. That as we walk out our faith day after day, week after week, year after year, his voice begins to get quieter. Why? Because he's forcing us to stop and to listen. He's forcing us and challenging us not to continue on based on our assumptions and what we think is right and think is true and think is wise and think is faithful. He's asking us to stop and listen. And some of you are in this season right now where you need to stop complaining and you need to stop pointing the finger and you need to stop accusing God of things that he hasn't done or is not going to do. And you need to actually just take a, a breather and listen. Listen. So when God finally gets Elijah's attention, I love what he says here. He says, what are you doing? And then in verse 15, it says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. I love that when God met him there and the first words of God to him were not, oh, Elijah, I feel so sorry for you and so bad for you, God. I, I didn't mean for this to turn out this way. I, he didn't coddle Elijah. His first words back to him were, go back the way you came. The second thing I want to encourage you with today is to circle back. What's really interesting is that God is asking Elijah to go back the way he came so that he can do something very specific. And that specific thing is to find his predecessor, Elisha, and anoint him as the next prophet to take his place. What I find so fascinating about this story is that it was only in going back and retracing his steps that he was able to see something that he didn't see in the first place. The implication here is that he missed his assignment on the first time around. That he was so busy thinking about himself, that he was so busy worried about what was going to happen to him that he didn't see that he was walking right by the next season of growth and life that God was calling him to invest in. Sometimes God asks us to circle back because in our naivety, in our 
our assumptions and our lack of faith sometimes, we miss things along the way, and we all do. We miss them. And I think God in his grace and in his providence says, look, okay, we're gonna do this again. Elijah, I'm not sending you a different way and in a different direction. I'm actually sending you back to where you came from, the way you got here. Because there were things that I had for you that you didn't see and that you missed. This is a hard one for us, isn't it? I can think of a few times in my life where I I think that God was asking me to circle back and go back and my response was, no, I've already done that. I know what that road looks like. I've already been down there. God, I've already gone through that. I've already experienced that. One of those was coming back here. When Pastor Herm asked me the first time, I said, forget it. There's not a chance and you know what, that I'm coming back there. I've already been there. I already was a leader there. I already experienced so much growth and transformation there, but I've moved on. I've done other things. I've, I've gone past that point. And in my arrogance and in my assumption, I held that line for a few months. I was, I was trying to, I was trying to really hold it forever, but God had different plans, but I was resolute in my, my, this idea that I had that, God, why would you bring me back there and how could that in any way accomplish what I feel you're calling me to in the future? Why? That doesn't align with my strategic plan or my mission statement for my life. It doesn't align with what I think is smart and wise. Certainly not normal. And God just kept challenging me and challenging me and he wouldn't let it go. (laughs) He wouldn't let it go. God was saying, go back because there's something that you walked past that I wanna show you now. Now often our fear and our pride make it really difficult for us to actually humble ourselves and retrace our steps and say, God, what did I miss? What are the things that I just blew right by that that I didn't even see? I believe that in this room, there's a number of us who have experienced this in our life and I, I believe that there's a number of us in this room who have left things on the side of the road that we didn't even know God wanted to do in our life because we were just so consumed with what we wanted to do. We were so consumed with our career and our kids and our family and all of those things are great. But I believe for a lot of us, we've left things on the side of the road that God wanted to use, that God wanted to use to powerfully influence us and the people around us. And so God says to Elijah, go back the way you came, circle back. And what happens when he does that? In verse 19, it says, Elijah went from there and found Elisha, 
son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. So remember, there's been three and a half years of drought. This is the first time in three and a half years that the farmers have had the opportunity to break the ground. And so Elijah goes back, and what does he see? He sees this young man breaking ground for the first time in three and a half years. And God says to him, that's what you missed. You walked by him on the way here and you didn't see it. And I'm sending you back because there's something that I want and I need to do in you and in this nation. And it's only gonna happen when you circle back and go back. And I wanna just point out a few things about Elisha. The next point is that when God sends the rain, when God provides that, that fertile ground, when he softens our heart, when he's doing stuff in our life, we have to work the window. We have to take advantage of the season. So after three and a half years, this young farmer, at the minute that he's able to begin to work the plows on the ground, he gets to work. He gets to work. Some of you, and I would include myself in this in, in different seasons, some of you have been asking God to do stuff in your life. You've been asking God to, to bring the rain, but when the rain comes, you just sit there and you wait for somebody else to plow the field and you wait for somebody else to break the ground and you look to somebody else to grow your faith and you look to the church to do this and to do that and for me to do this and to do that. But Elijah comes back, he circles back around and he sees this young man hard at work, seizing the moment for the first time in three and a half years, the ground is ready to receive seed. Some of you have been waiting for God to do what God doesn't do. I heard this this week in a podcast from, from T.D. Jakes and I thought it was it just made me think, and, and he said, you know, God has, has created the trees, but God doesn't build plows. God doesn't build tables, that's what we get to do. God made the trees, and he's given you the raw material to work with in your life. But it's not God's job to build the plow and to work the plow. It's your job, and it's my job. And so often we stare at the tree and go, I wonder when that's gonna turn into a plow. And I wonder when that plow is gonna hook itself to some oxen. And I wonder when those oxen are just gonna to start to move in the, in the right way and along the right rows. And we stand there in our faith spiritually asking God to do everything for us. And God says, no, I made the trees. Now you work the window. You take advantage of the opportunity. Get busy. Start doing the things that I've created you to do. And so often we're so guilty of just sitting there and, and wanting it done for us. Wanting spiritual growth to happen in our life, but never picking up our Bible. Wanting change and transformation in our family, but always being the first to accuse and to lash out in anger. Wanting financial 
growth and gain, but never actually willing to do the, the dirty stuff that it takes. We're fine. We, 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 we want to receive the harvest, but we don't want to work to plant the seed. But receiving the harvest means hard work planting the seed. The other thing that I want to just draw to your attention is something else I heard this week that I, again, I've just been just processing so deeply. That it's one thing for us to just try and throw seed all over the place. But it's another thing for us to stop and ask God, what are you asking me to plant in this season? What are the seeds that you've given me? The Bible says that we're supposed to be fruitful and multiply, but it takes seed to produce a fruit. So again, we want the end result. We want the amazing peach. They're so good, but we're not willing to understand that it takes a seed first to produce the fruit. And Elijah's walking by and he sees this young man and he sees something in him that I don't even think Elisha saw in himself. And Elijah walks by and he says, yeah, you're doing great, you're working hard, you're planting these, these fields like, like you've grown up knowing to do, you're, you're running your dad's business, you're doing everything right, but I see something in you that you don't even see in yourself. And there's a seed in there in you that's been lying dormant. And you don't even know it's there. And I wonder, as you reflect on your own life and as I reflect on mine, I wonder what seeds God has planted in you that have been lying dormant under the surface for years. And sometimes it's God's timing to do those things and to to bring things in their season and out of their season, but, but sometimes we just don't see, we don't stop to ask God, what is the seed that you've put in me that will produce the most fruit, that will yield a harvest? So often we're looking at our farmer neighbor and what he's planting and saying, I want to do that. I want to plant that corn. We're looking at the success of those people around us saying, that, that's what I want. I'm going to go after that. I'm going to go after that business success or, or that's the kind of family I want or that's the kind of whatever I want. And we're so busy looking at someone else's seed and examining their life that we don't ask God, what have you put in me to do? Is there anything in my life that's been lying dormant because I've just been walking by it every day? Are there things that you still want to do in my life? I believe even if you're in your 60s and 70s and 80s that, that there might be seeds that God has planted in you that you don't even know are there because you haven't stopped to ask him. Like I said last week, I, I actually believe in, and we kind of stumbled into this whole subject matter by accident, um, but I believe that that 
that what we're talking about is a prophetic word for what God wants to do in us spiritually. That he's giving us the opportunity, he's sending that former rain so that our hearts are soft and ready to receive what he wants for us. But we have to be willing to A, stop complaining and start listening, to B, circle back, and C, I can't even remember what C was. <laughs> Work the window, there we go. See, that's why I brought notes up here. I don't like using them, but in moments like that, they work out well. Um, so the question is, for you and I, are there things that God has put in us or has put in your kids or has put in your friends or your spouses that he's just waiting waiting for you to stop and see so that you can plant them in the ground that will cause them to grow. If you think about your friendship circles now and your family circles and the relationships you have, sometimes I think like Elijah, God is just calling us to stop and see something in someone else that they don't see in themselves and to call that out of them. Unfortunately, I think we're so worried about what's happening in our own life that we don't see that. And I was so convicted this week as I thought about my own kids, eight and five years old. As a, as a dad, as a parent, am I actually stopping to say, God, what are the seeds that you've put in them? What are the things that you've deposited into their life that I need to cultivate, that I need to help them see? that they're not gonna see on their own. What are those things? And so Elijah sees Elisha and he's driving the ox. And Elijah in this really kind of cryptic way, he walks across the road into the field and he takes this cloak that he has and he puts it on Elijah and he just keeps walking without even saying a word. He just keeps going. Elisha responded this way. He left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Scholars have been debating for years on what Elijah actually meant when he said, go back, what have I done to you? And, and they're sort of divided in their interpretation of that. Some people think that, that he was actually chastising Elisha for a lack of faith and saying, why do you need to go back? When God calls you, you go. And other ones are saying, no, he's actually, he's actually giving Elisha a window of opportunity there. And as we read that, I, I really believe actually what Elijah was saying was, look, it's not me who's calling you. It's actually God. I haven't done anything. I can't produce in you the fruit that God has called you to bear. So it's not me you need to make happy. It's God. You need to follow him in obedience. 
So often, as parents, I was thinking about this week, so often as parents, we want our kids to do what we want them to do and to act the way we want them to act and to pursue the dreams that we have for them, that we think we see in them. And in this moment, Elijah is saying, look, it's not me, don't worry about me. I haven't done anything. But if you choose to walk away from this, you're actually walking away from God's heart for you. And so he lets him go and Elisha goes. And this is what he does. In verse 21, he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. Number four, after we've built the plow, God calls us to burn the plow. There was a decision moment for Elisha. Am I gonna follow through with what God is calling me to do 100% or am I gonna try and live with one foot in each world? Am I gonna try for a season to just test it a little bit and see what happens? I'm not maybe sure of where this is going or what God is doing and so I'm gonna live with a little foot in each world. And that's so often what we do when we feel God calling us to some kind of step of faith or a, a next step or, or a, a, a time of obedience. We, we shrink back because we're not sure. And we say, okay, God, let me just test this a little bit. And in our testing, what we're actually saying is, I, I actually don't know if I trust you with my life, God. So I'm going to live with one foot in the past and I'm going to live with one foot in the future. And I hope that you're going to show me what to do. We see from this story that once Elisha recognized God's leading in his life, he burnt the plow, and slaughtered the oxen, the very instruments and tools of his success and of his business, his family line, his, his family business. He burns them and says, there's no way now that I can be tempted to go back. I'm moving forward. There's a lot of plows that I've been dragging behind me like an anchor in different seasons of my life, trying, trying, trying to be faithful and obedient, but never quite making that decision to cut away what was in the past and trust God wholeheartedly with the future. Elijah gave Elisha no context for what he was inviting him to. 
He didn't sit down and go over his manifesto and his vision statement and his strategic business plan for what they were going to do. He gave Elisha zero context, no information. And Elisha had a choice. In this moment, in this time, either I hesitate and I potentially miss a window of opportunity or I throw myself into this. I throw myself into it with everything I have. And I trust that as I do that, that God is gonna show me where to put one foot in front of the next. I wonder for you in your life, what are the plows that you're dragging behind you, trying to follow God, but not fully letting go of the past? not fully letting go of the hurt, not fully letting go of the disappointment, not fully letting go of the anger and frustration, not fully letting go of the shame, not fully letting go of the fear. And you're just limping along in this life, dragging these plows behind you, hoping and praying that God does something powerful in your life but never fully being able to seize a window of opportunity because it's slowing you down, it's dragging you down. And I feel like in this season that we're in spiritually, God is saying, look, I'm sending the rain, I'm doing my part, but now you need to do yours. You need to stop making excuses for what's going on in your life, spiritually and otherwise. You need to start listening and you need to be able to burn the plow and move forward with me. And that is the invitation. Elisha knew this much. He knew that following Elijah would cost him everything. He knew what was going on with Jezebel. He knew what was happening in the nation around him. He knew that it would cost him everything. He knew that this decision could lead to him being hunted down like a criminal, that it would lead to him being taken out of his comfort zone into the wild. Elijah was a man of the wild, but Elisha, he had a great family. He had a great uh, homestead and he was comfortable. Burning the plows meant that he was willing, he was willing to go for it. my question for you and me in this season that we're in right now is are you willing to burn the plows in your life that God is asking you to burn say God I don't know what is coming next but I believe there's something in me that you've put there that you want to come alive As a church, in a few weeks, we're gonna start a season and, and we've been praying and praying and praying about a word for the next year of our, our life. And, and the word we felt like God saying to us was breakthrough. That I'm bringing you into a season of breakthrough spiritually and financially, emotionally, physically, as a church, in our region, in our cities and in our communities. 
but we don't get to breakthrough until we're willing to burn the plow. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We genuinely hope that you are inspired and challenged in your faith by what you heard. We'd love to invite you to connect with us online or even partner with us in ministry by going to mp.church forward slash give. See you next week.